Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. So, the Commerce Clause. <laughs> Everybody says the Commerce Clause as if, one, we should know where the heck that's located, <laughs> and two, that we should know what it means. So, yeah, uh, Augie, uh, uh, where do I find the Commerce Clause? Yeah, listeners, uh, you should see Neo's face right now because she's got this kind of sort of resigned look like, I've heard you talk about this so much. I've oh, heard, my gosh. I, I, I have you, lawyer friends. and there's lawyer friends <laughs> who are like, oh, it falls under the, the Commerce, Commerce Clause. Clause. And that's what they use to justify, <laughs> like, invading other countries <laughs> and going to the bottom of the ocean and all kinds of, like, really? It all comes back to the Commerce Clause. They're like, yes, everything comes back to the Commerce Clause. Apparently, it's the first thing you learn in law school cool. is the Commerce Clause. Where is the Commerce Clause? Okay. But it's in the Constitution, right? Yeah. It is in the Constitution. So, listeners, uh, this particular episode is going to be looking at one part of the Commerce Clause, uh, and I'm going to identify where it is in just a moment. But just to go ahead and let you know, there are going to be two other podcast episodes uh, that we will do about the Commerce Clause. So um, by the time we get done, you will be as either resigned as (laughs) Nia is about the Commerce Clause. Welcome to my tribe. (laughs) Or as excited as, you know, us public law geeks are, okay, about the Commerce Clause. So Goobers. The Commerce Clause. No, no, no. I kid because actually apparently the Commerce Clause. It's a big deal. Covers a huge (laughs) amount of stuff. Yes. So the Commerce Clause is actually found in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Okay, so Article 1 is the executive. No, no excuse me, is the congressional. Yes. It's Congress. and, and Section it, 8. It has how many sections? Um, well, at least 10. Okay. <laughs> so, like, Section 8, like, the Sec- way you get out of the military? <laughs> <No>. Awesome. <laughs> well, Section 8 is the, uh, uh, is the enumerated powers section of Article 1. It basically lists all the powers that the Congress has. So it has stuff like... Wars in there, I think. Yeah, the Congress can declare war. Uh, Congress, uh, I mean, can do coin money, <laughs> patents and copyrights, okay? Okay, borrow money. Tribunals, right? Like, there's yes. all kinds of stuff in this thing. You know, provide for the punishment of counterfeiters of securities. Uh, my favorite, they can punish pirates. Yes. It says in here specifically they can punish pirates. And in a previous podcast episode, uh, we already talked about how Congress can establish post offices and post roads. And that's fabulous, so by the way, anybody who wants a hobby. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in, in these, in, excuse me, uh, these cover both um, uh, economic affairs, but also foreign and military affairs. And uh, we'll probably get to this in another podcast episode, or you might explore this uh, with my colleague Bill Newman. But, um, you know, today we assume that presidents, okay, have pretty much like the sole authority as it relates to foreign, you know, foreign policy and wars. And that's not the case. Congress has significant, okay, foreign affairs and war making authority. It's just historically, Congress has done what with that authority? Have they ceded it? Yes, they've dele- yeah, they've de- delegated it. Oh, is that because it. it's hard? 
Because sometimes they just don't want to do things that are hard. Well, you know, some of it. Some no, I'm of, not trying to be unpleasant. No, but because some of it's hard. But you know, as um, what was his name? Uh, uh, well-known uh, a scholar, and you know, he, he's like a really annoying scholar because like <laughs> he like wrote classic books in a lot of different areas of political science. Aaron Waldowski, uh, he had this uh, a theory called the two presidencies, and he basically said presidents in foreign affairs basically get to do whatever they want in part because the courts recognize that they're not experts on foreign affairs. And members of Congress never get elected or reelected because they did something in regards to foreign affairs. They just never do. You know, they usually all get... All politics are local. Well, yeah, all right? politics like they are... Care. Yeah, right? I, I, well, it's true. I, mean, I, I, I want... I got, I got money for a road. I, I made sure that grandma's social security check got deposited. Right. right? My, my current um, um, representative is Abigail Spanberger. Yeah. And if she did things that hurt me at the local level, I would raise heck in yes. her office yes. because that's yes. not yeah. what she's there to do. She's there to... Yeah, that's right. She's supposed to be representing us, right? right? Okay. And doing as much as she can yeah. for my district to, <laughs> right. to get... Well, to see the schools improve, yeah. to see other things, yeah. having the roads and stuff. So, yeah, no, I'd be peeved if she was like, well, I spent the summer doing, you know, I, I don't know, international relations work in China. I'd be like, well, what good does that do, do me. my district? Like yeah, that, that's right. Okay. You know, is that... You know, the Chinese are going to build a factory in our district. Right, because if they're not going to put a bunch of jobs here, you need to be doing stuff that <laughs> right. directly benefits me. Okay. Otherwise, why yeah. have you there? So, okay. okay. So, the Commerce Clause basically states this, and this is a direct quote. To regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. So, basically, Congress gets to control, okay, trade, okay, domestically if it crosses state lines. Anything having to do with Native American tribes, but also international trade. And that's another one that historically Congress has basically said to the president, you negotiate trade deals, right? So to give you a recent example, oh. okay, Trump is thinking about pulling out of the, uh, the, the, the trans-Asian, I forget the acronym. The TPP? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, Trans-Pacific Partnership, right? right? And this was a, a, a big deal during the Obama administration, right? And I remember um, uh, uh, many Democrats were like, yeah, the T TPP is, you know, terrible, right? You know, this is going to hurt domestic jobs, right? Many Republicans were like, hey, you know, global trade, this is a good thing, right? Trump gets into office is like, no, that's a terrible deal, and I'm going to go ahead and scuttle it. And by the way, the authority he has to scuttle it is the same authority Obama had to negotiate it in the first place. Which is non-existent. No. Well, ceded, ceded, ceded from, yeah, from Congress. Congress. Del yeah, Congress. Now you go yeah, ahead. Yeah, right? It, it's kind of sort of like... Um, I shouldn't say non-existent. Okay. I should say non-written. Okay, well, I mean, but it, it, uh, in, in you're going to look at this, um, we're going to look at this in another podcast episode, uh, the big deal about the census, right? Um, you know, Congress has had very little input on the questions that go on to the census. Why? Because in various laws, they basically said to the executive branch, you decide which questions are on the census. 
Okay, this is so you don't get to complain yes. if you say yes. if you say the president can negotiate stuff and then the president goes to Canada and smacks Justin Trudeau across <laughs> the face. Please. You don't get to say, hey, you can't do that, or 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 you just said he could do that in the last presidency or the last ten presidencies. presidencies. Yes, that's been a and, and that's I, something he now assumes. And, and is I, within his jurisdiction to do. And I tell students this all the time. You know, we go ahead and criticize presidents, particular presidents, for trade deals we don't like or, you know. Oh, you know, for uh, haircuts we don't like. Sometimes we Okay, alliances, little, okay, et cetera. You know, and I'm like, hey, you know who gave the president the authority? Right. Congress. So where's your animosity towards the branch who went ahead and said, here's our authority you take it and make it work, right? Yeah. I mean, it does kind of sort of undercut the Madisonian model of government because Madison basically assumed each of the branches would do what with their authority? Jealously guard it. I don't know. It seems like at times Congress is just like, here's the farm. We're not even selling it to you. We're giving it to you, <laughs> right? Which is super annoying. <laughs> and, like, well, and if you're a person like me who thinks that there needs to be more balance you know, and you believe in the whole checks and balances system. And if you believe in Schoolhouse Rock, then you want yes. Congress to be a stop on the president sometimes. But sometimes I think they're just not. Um, and, you know, there's a variety of reasons for that. And we could get into that. But it might require adult beverages. <laughs> um, so, so, it's a, so it's a pretty simple clause. I, well, mean, I mean, if you look at it in Article 1, Section 8, okay, it's a sentence. But... I know, like, I don't, so <laughs> you don't, you I don't, don't understand get what, why you don't you get guys, what, what's the right, big like, deal. Okay, right. so here's the thing. Wait, let me back up by saying, I know that census is within the commerce department. I know that all kinds of things that you wouldn't think would be in the commerce department are in the commerce department. And so I know that commerce somehow is mystically more important than I seem to understand it, like, on a regular basis. But can you explain like what the deal is with the commerce okay. clause so uh to understand why the commerce clause is so important today you have to go back to why it was uh, uh inserted in the constitution in the first instance and that is this after the revolutionary war uh we had the articles of confederation and the article articles of confederation was basically a loose alliance among the states all right one of the difficulties with the Articles of Confederation and one of the reasons why uh, a constitutional convention was called uh, uh, you know, or in the first place was that uh, the states frequently okay, were competitors with other states. So we didn't have as much of a national economy as we had 13 different economies. So North Carolina would try to undercut Virginia. Virginia would try to undercut, you know, Maryland, or New York would try to undercut Pennsylvania. and the With nation, foreign nations or with other states? With other states or just with foreign nations. Okay, they would so cut, in all uh, of their they, commerce. Yes, okay. okay. Um, because, again, you know, they fought a war not to be under a central authority. So not a big shock in the Articles of Confederation. There was very little central authority in regards to creating a national economy. So you had state competition, but you also had regional competition. So the North, okay, uh, mercantilism, banks, okay, trade, whereas the South was basically agrarian. 
So there was this huge distrust between the North and the South. Oh, you don't okay. say. Yeah, right. That Shocking. eventually led to something pretty bad, yeah, didn't right. it? Okay. Uh, and, and, and even in extended, you know, to things like, you know, what do we do with slavery? Because as far as the South was concerned, slaves were property, were commerce, right? They were. Whereas in many northern states, which had already adopted abolitionist state laws, okay, slavery was a practice that had to be outlawed. So what you had, and one of the reasons why we had the Constitutional Convention was there was the recognition our economy for a new nation was, was extremely problematic. All right, You had way too much debt. You had no central authority that basically said these were or should be, okay, established practices. Okay, we, one of the other sections of uh, Article 1, one of the other clauses of Article 1, Section 8 that uh, uh, we read was Congress could coin money. Now, you're like, you know, today many of you are like, I never have currency, right? I only have my <laughs> damn card. What's the, what's the big deal, Augie? Well, the big deal was this. All 13 states had different currency. Oh, so like Europe, where when you before euros, when you had to have, you had to change your francs to lira to pounds to yes to everything like marks, and it was horrible going from country to country trying to yeah. Imagine trying to set up commerce where you grew a crop in South Carolina, but you wanted it sold to consumers, say in Massachusetts. Well, Massachusetts, okay, okay, the, the companies in Massachusetts, the, 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 the markets in Massachusetts would pay you with Massachusetts currency, which had absolutely no value where? In, in South, South Carolina. Carolina. So uh. what was your incentive to go ahead and grow crops that might actually be shipped and bought in Massachusetts? Okay. I can see where that would be. So uh, that would be problematic. It's extremely yeah. problematic. I mean, because how do you then put that money back into your farm? farm which is what right. farmers generally you do. do. That's right. Okay. Right. They go. Back, they put it back into seed. They put it back yeah. into equipment. You wouldn't be able to do that if the money yeah. was worthless. Okay. So you needed a standardized form of money. Okay. And, and who would provide the standards? Well, you can't rely on the thirteen states because they've already demonstrated they'll do what. To everybody else in the other states. Yeah, compete and step so, on them. That's right. Okay. So you have a commerce clause. I mean, that was the general idea. The problem becomes, okay, how do you define the commerce clause? Because in part, again, it reads pretty simple. To regulate commerce, and we'll just focus on the domestic commerce clause. To regulate commerce among the several states. Well, almost immediately, the Supreme Court is asked to interpret to regulate commerce among the several states. And initially, the Supreme Court adopted, shall we say, a kind of sort of nationalist view, right? Uh, in the case of Gibbons versus Ogden, a unanimous Supreme Court and majority opinion written by Chief Justice John Marshall basically went ahead and said it was a broad power, okay? Um, it should be interpreted as broadly as Congress wants it to, right? All right. And we're going to cover this in another podcast episode. But basically, we have had different interpretations depending on who's been on the Supreme Court and what's been going on in the nation's economy, right? Wait. Yes. 
So there hasn't been a steady... There hasn't been a single definition of the Commerce Clause, okay? And to highlight this... No wonder it drives you out bonkers. (laughs) Right? To go ahead and highlight this, okay? Um, (laughs) The case I want to go ahead and use as an example, okay? And and, and Nia's heard this from one of her good friends. She's heard me talk about this case. And she's just like... Y'all love this case. Oh, it's a great case, right? (laughs) Okay? You know what? There's a certain kind of person that says... It's a great case. Right? I'm just saying. I mean, if... Okay. So, the case I'm going to talk about deals with a device that's, okay, (laughs) on the back end of 18-wheelers. Mud flaps. Okay? Yes. Mud flaps. (laughs) Folks, these apparently are incredibly controversial. And I don't... He's not talking about the ones that are shaped like women. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's not about what's on the mud flaps. It's actually the mud flaps itself. Yes. Okay. So, the case uh, is uh, uh, Bibb versus Navajo Freight Lines, and it was decided in 1959. All right? Which, of course, is the international highway system, right? Like, it's the interstate. Yeah. We, yeah, we, yeah, yeah so the, now you have trucks that are actually going out on the interstate. Because right? it wasn't the interstate system put in around that time? Uh, yeah. In the uh, 50s? Yeah. It, it was uh, President Eisenhower uh, who proposed the interstate highway system. Uh, and, Nate, do you remember um, uh, what was his justification? Uh, 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 he pitched to Congress for creating an interstate highway system? Uh my guess would be a way to get tanks from one place to another. You are really, really close. He was concerned, and this was, you know, during the Cold War, we needed a way to get a whole bunch of people from densely populated urban areas to rural areas because the Soviet Union would be less likely to use their nukes in rural areas. They would try to go ahead and kill as many Americans in densely populated urban areas. So we needed a way to go ahead and move people and move our nukes. He, his, justifi- really? his justification was for national defense. Okay. It was not for so, commerce. Okay. It was not Which for... Which is weird because it's become... Oh! The commerce thing. Yes. Of course, this is probably also a time when people were building fallout shelters in their backyards. So... Yes. Which, and, and, by the way, I think is probably ineffective. Yes, depending just, on how close you are to the bomb. Just I'm not like sure that a fallout shelter, just like is the training. Yeah, just like the training I had. You know, when I was <laughs> getting <laughs> under a table. Getting yes. under a table. That's, like, what's that gonna do? <laughs> right. <laughs> we 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 just like those exercises because they broke up the monotony of like you know exactly. you know of our class lessons. But when you get a little bit older and you kind of sort of learn what the damage. Of radioactive fallout is. Yeah. You're like, like the desk's probably not going to help me. All yeah, okay, that much. you know that that three inch wooden desk. <laughs> I know it was sturdy, and I sure as heck didn't want my head to bang up against it. But nevertheless, <laughs> I'm not really think it's going to protect me from the radioactive fallout. But oh. nevertheless, so <laughs> right. so he builds the the highway system, but but this okay. isn't about that. This no, is, no, 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 so, no. So the state, state of Illinois, happened. the state of Illinois passed a law. That required all freight trucks, basically 18-wheelers, to have curved mud flaps, because uh, uh, Illinois state legislature had, didn't have enough to do. Apparently, well, no, they had been persuaded by highway safety advocates that curved mud flaps actually reduce, okay, 
the mud debris that would kick up from the big tires of 18-wheelers and cause um, visual impediments, okay, for the other drivers. Oh, okay. And, so, it, and that's legit? Yeah, it is legit. Okay. Okay. Yay, science. Yeah, and, and, and interestingly enough, um, I, I kind of sort of knew this before I ever read this case in a constitutional law class as an undergrad because my father was a truck driver, um, and he always preferred – uh, uh, his trucks to have curved mud flaps, and I never understood why. And by the way, they were a pain to clean, to wash, <laughs> compared to the flat ones. But he finally went ahead and explained it to me, and I was just like, "Hey, Dad, that makes a lot of sense." And he goes, "I know." <laughs> and he goes, "And then when you get the designs put on them, he goes, they look cooler because <laughs> the designs actually like shape and move because oh. it's curved instead of flat." I was I just see. like. Oh, so this is a visual thing, too, right? <laughs> Who knew, right? <laughs> it's very complicated, mud right. flaps. Okay. Okay. So now, Illinois so says they must be curved. Curved. But basically, like 46 other states at that time had laws uh, or regulations that said flat mud flaps were fine. Okay. Now, the problem this causes is, and you kind of sort of explained this earlier uh, with one of your joking remarks, and that is this. So you had 18-wheelers who would be driving through Illinois. And by the way, Illinois is like a kind of sort of important Midwest state. Yes. Okay. Yes. You know, you know, major interstates. And they got a kind of sort of big city known as Chicago. <laughs> right. 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 Okay. A um, toddling town. Yes, okay. where, where much trade happens <laughs> with many people. people. Right. Okay. And international trade, because Canada trades through there, through Chicago. That's right. So, basically, Illinois would be requiring all 18-wheelers to either change their mud flaps, or when they got into Illinois, they would have to stop and take off their flat mud flaps and put on the curved ones. So, the Navajo... how would your dad have reacted to you have some place to be I'm you pretty, have to be there on time right because yes. don't don't they have yes. rules about yes. if you're not on time you have to pay and yes it comes out of, of the driver it comes out of the driver's right. pay but i'm going to need you to <laughs> stop, stop at yes. the first of the welcome center, center yes. in illinois yes. and change out your mud flaps yes i would go bonkers yes and, i would go bonkers and, and, I, and i'm pretty driver. sure in in by the way for for those uh, for those listeners uh, who are like students of mine or former students of mine, if you think that I am fond of profanity, okay, <laughs> my truck driver father, okay, uh, uh, well, he was major league quality, okay? I, I'm like low single A minor league quality, okay, compared to my father, right? Ah, uh, so we would have heard him complaining here. Oh, my goodness. From Illinois. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And if you think my voice is is deep and loud, okay? I still have, like, nightmares about my father's <laughs> voice. But anyways, I digress. So, okay, uh, the Navajo Freight Lines uh, was a trucking company out of New Mexico. And they actually, you know, took stuff from the southwest up to the Midwest and into Canada. So they would have to go through Illinois and they were like, you know, hey, this law, okay, um, actually impedes interstate commerce. All right? Well, yeah, because okay. it can slow everything down. Yes. Okay. Now, Illinois' authority to pass this law is 
firmly rooted into uh, an historical constitutional law concept known as state police power, okay? Uh, And it's this. Uh, The United States Congress in Article 1, Section 8, does not have the authority to regulate for public health and safety. They can, you know, they can pass laws for the furtherance of general welfare, but historically, the federal courts have always recognized that per the 10th Amendment, okay, states have what's called police power. They can regulate behavior for public health and safety. Which is why there's no federal regulations about, like, measles yes. vaccines. That's always done at, at the, the state, state level. level okay? okay. You know, that's a really good, you know, uh, current day example, right? Um, you know, with the, the center. The CDC c- can't just c- demand c- yes, yes. that everybody in the United States yes. get a measles vaccination. So that's right. it's not. I mean, CDC can go ahead and report every week about all the outbreaks and go ahead and, and tell us. And they can say it's a really good, good idea. Good idea to get vaccinated. But they can't but it's up to the individual states. Why? Because states, per the 10th Amendment, okay, remember that's the amendment that says all those powers not explicitly given to uh, the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. Yeah, I like to think of that as the kitchen sink amendment. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Like if we don't name <laughs> it, it belongs it to, to the states. states. All right, so. Because these were people who did... While they wanted some centralized power, they also wanted some de- decentralization of power too, right? Like, yeah, they I weren't mean, really all that excited about having a, an an immense, like, deep state, yeah. federal state with a I mean, king and and, 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 and the framers of the Constitution were very clear. On one hand, they wanted to give a federal government, a national government, the power to act, which was missing in the Articles of Confederation, but they also said the federal government to act on its power is going to have to go through some hoops, jump some hurdles, one of which is, you know, checks and balances. And the other one is federalism. Okay, federalism is a check on national government power because it reserves to the states certain powers and authorities. I mean, think about education. Public education historically in this country was not a concern of the federal government. Why? It arose at the state level. There is no language in Article One, Section 8 that says Congress can do anything about education. We kind of sort of think that Congress might want to incentivize good education. But at the end of the day, okay, it's part of the state's police power. We educate our own. Why? Because we kind of sort of hope that they stay here and they're productive members of society. Well, and we're also investing financially with the way it's taxed and sure. I mean, the way it's fi- financially supported. Sure. So Illinois has the power. Illinois can Illinois can say, we want all your trucks to be 21 feet long, no longer, no shorter. They can say that kind of thing, right? Like they can. Yes. Like California put in um, a car exhaust. Yes. Stuff long before, before the we, other states did. Right? But they were like, because yes. we're tired of having smog in Los Angeles. Sure. And we're just going to declare that cars have to meet this standard. And then the the companies in Michigan had to, I mean, the car companies had to kind of scramble to make sure that they met yeah, Calif- California, yeah, I mean, California other, rules, right? So yeah, it's I not mean, outside uh, Illinois' power to do this. No, I mean, and again, in part, Illinois was arguing this part, this you know, this regulation, this 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 law, this requirement is part of our police power. The other point that Illinois made was. Congress had not spoken on the matter. 
So, you know, as far as we're concerned, how is this violating, um, you know, the Commerce Clause uh, when Congress had not yet spoken? Now, the argument made by Navajo Freight Line was this, okay? Um, it theoretically violates interstate commerce because if all states came up with their own laws and regulations about mud flaps, oh my gosh, what what you know what would be the impact on the shipping, okay, of you know goods and services, cargo, freight, okay, throughout the United States could conceivably come to a, a halt. screeching halt, yeah. right? Okay. So Congress hasn't passed a law on it. Illinois is like, this is part of our state police power. And Navajo Freight Lines is saying, yeah. You're killing my business. Yeah, you're killing our, you know, our, our business and pretty much every other truck line's business, okay, that, you know, has to go through Illinois. I mean, again, okay, um, you know, the, the, the location of Illinois here is very, very important to the case facts. Oh, that's true. If, <laughs> yeah. it, if it was, you know, one of the edge states <laughs> or like Montana, Tana, you'd be like, hardly anybody goes through <laughs> there. there to do this kind of work. Yeah. And we also know historically uh, Montana is not, uh, shall we say, uh, a robust user of its police power. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice way to say that. Yeah. Okay. So. It goes to the Supreme Court. Oh my gosh! Okay, can I just have a moment? Yes. Can you see the Supreme? The Supreme's like, really? <laughs> We're going to talk about mud flaps. Oh, wait, but, but, but but I can see where is, it, it, if they're like you, which they are, oh, they're it's a, all much more like you than they are like me. Like I would say, really settle it and they are like, oh no, this is an interesting constitutional question because who has the right to decide this? Yeah, and the, and we're gonna I'm gonna finish discussing this case, and then if we have time, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, uh, relate it back to a case that was decided 14 years before that, dealing with uh, the number of uh, cars that ro- railroads could have going through the state of Arizona. Okay. <laughs> and it, it, okay. And it's, well, it's if commerce. we don't get to that this time, we'll yes. get to that next. Time. Oh yeah, it's great stuff. <clears throat> okay. okay. Anyways. <laughs> The Supreme Court held unanimously that the Illinois law violated the Commerce Clause. And basically, the even ma- though Congress hadn't spoken, so the, yet. even though the Congress hadn't spoken, basically, uh, the majority opinion for the court came, uh, came out and said this. When we have these types of cases where a state on one hand wants to regulate commerce, particularly the flow of interstate commerce for safety reasons, we got to balance their interests with the interests that the framers established with the Commerce Clause, which was the promotion of interstate commerce. Uh. Commerce, as Chief Justice Marshall in Gibbons versus Ogden said, commerce is commercial intercourse, okay? It's a way for the parts of the country to communicate and interact with one another. So we That's true. I yes. eat California salad all the time. Sure. I mean like and I've never I've been there a couple times, right? But yes. but they affect my daily life. Life. Yes. Okay. I mean, think about all the food that oh, you get, which okay. is why you would get the EPA it, being able to go in and make sure that all the food is in Yes, is or, in good or, order. or the FDA or oh, right. yeah, Sorry, or FDA. The, the, the the Department of Agriculture. Okay, oh. I mean, you know, all of that is tied to the Commerce Clause. I right? begin to see why you love this thing. Stuff, right, okay. So, 
And what the court said was, even when Congress is silent, the Commerce Clause is still supreme, okay, when the court or a federal court can conclude that the safety improvements or whatever whatever justification the state claimed when they passed the law, when the benefits, okay, are minimal. And here, the court went ahead and concluded that, yes, Illinois has a legitimate interest in improving highway safety. However, by their own admission, okay, the safety improvements because of the curved mudflaps was not as great as the impact it would have on interstate commerce. Ah. And this is considered an example of what constitutional law scholars call the dormant commerce clause. Even when Congress is silent, okay, the commerce clause still, okay, may impact a state's ability to regulate commerce that comes in and goes out of that state. Oh, I have a question. Yes. So I'm trying to relate this to, so the seatbelt laws. Okay, that's federal. Right, that went in in under the federal, that was because the safety factor was so much more improved than the cost of what it would cost the motor companies to figure out how to put seatbelts in the car, right? So it's the reverse of that. It's the idea that that whoever is more affected is the is sort of the well i mean the way to again the way to look at this is you have two competing constitutional if you will authorities yeah or interests right and i try to explain this to my students all the time in constitutional law right because they'll be like you know freedom of speech is great and my speech should never be regulated i'm like oh really so speech that leads to physical harm Oh, so we're balancing interests, right? Um, The federal government has the authority to provide for national defense. Does that mean um, it can't um, uh, engage in behavior that might violate your civil liberties? Well, no, I want to be safe. Oh, so how do they go about doing that without infringing upon your civil liberties every once in a while? Where's the acceptable balance? Okay. And I ask myself that every time I go to the airport. Yes. Where's right? the acceptable balance? balance? Right. You know, because for many I, of us, we're I, like, I could this is- not take this trip. <laughs> but if I want to take to this trip, trip, these are the rules that I have that I'm currently living under. Sure. Right. OK. You know, many of us would like to go ahead and comment about, you know, you know, various and sundry presidents. But if we say certain things, they could be interpreted as being a threat against the president, right? right? So your speech has limits, right? Um, You know, the Fourth Amendment gets called into question in the example you just gave because you go to the airport and you got to go through the TSA screening. Now, you know, if you ever met Nia, you're like, yeah, there's like no chance whatsoever Nia is a terrorist, okay? On the other hand, I could be a terrorist mastermind. Right? You don't know, know that. Except that I'm. Yes, right? I'm completely too obvious right. to be a terrorist. You're right, okay. <laughs> I see your okay. point. But nevertheless, okay, so but you I balance the, the interest, right? right? Because. Yes. Under the theory that somebody might. They might actually be, right? So the, the import of the dormant commerce clause is this think about all the state and local laws concerning health and safety and the environment. You mentioned California, right? 
um, uh, um, you know, states all the time will go ahead, and this is another lesson from constitutional law. The federal constitution is the bare minimum of what is required of all government officials. But if states want to go ahead and grant you greater rights protection or want to go ahead and promote the general welfare far beyond what the federal government does, states can. But not if it impacts what? Commerce. So think about, for instance. So is so the debate about marijuana. Yes. Is a yes. debate about commerce. commerce. It's not a debate about whether yeah. that drug should be legal or not legal. Yeah, it's because, a debate about whether because the states United, should be able to. Yeah, because the United States Congress has gone ahead and said the black market in marijuana and other drugs, okay, is actually that an interstate market. Thus, per our Commerce Clause authority, we can regulate it. And in another podcast episode, we'll actually discuss it in the case of Gonzalez versus Raish, otherwise known as Grandma's Growing Pot. Okay, there's your trailer, right? You're like it's not quite right, it's not quite Avengers Endgame, but, but nevertheless, uh, right? My students just love it. My goodness, Augie, you get so excited. Grandma's growing pot. You're making that up. No, actually, grandmas were growing pot in Gonzalez versus Raish, but that's for another another episode, right? But that's a really good example, okay, because many states are like, we don't think marijuana is a public health concern. However, theoretically, the United States government, okay, per the Controlled Substance Act passed in the, during the Nixon administration. I was say the 70s, okay, early 70s. Okay, could go ahead and arrest everybody in a state who is, according to state law, legally engaged in the recreational use of marijuana, but they're violating what? Federal law, right? Right. Okay. We just have had, we have just had, if you will, two consecutive presidents. Okay. Primarily Obama. I mean, in the Trump administration, the former attorney general, Jeff Sessions, he wanted to lock up everybody smoking <laughs> pot, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he didn't get around to that because they had other issues going on at that time. Well, and he <laughs> would need a lot more prisons. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. Right. But so you got public health. Obama basically said, we're not going to come after you. No, in fact, I think didn't his, their administration his, just basically say, yeah, his, his, his sort of a don't ask, don't tell kind of a. Well, his direct quote was, we have bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Which I always thought that was a bad food metaphor. You should have said, we have more Doritos to eat. But anyways, I digress. Okay. So, but here's where this really comes into play. Think about all the state and local laws that are passed to protect state and local industries. So, uh, the amendment that repealed prohibition, which was, yeah, help me out here. Oh, my gosh. Um, 20... Three? First? Was no, it 21's the... 19 went in, 21 came out, right? Ah. Okay, we're, we're, we're actually looking this up right now. 21st. Okay. Ah, it, it was, was the, the 21st. 21st. Okay. Look at that. Okay, so the 21st... It's like I know stuff. Well, you and me both. How about that? So, the 21st Amendment repeals prohibition. But what many don't recognize is it explicitly gives state governments the authority to regulate the sale distribution of alcohol within their jurisdictions, all right? 
So hence ABC. Yeah. Okay. But it's a state function. It's ABC a, is a state it's function. State, state function, right? Whereas you know, and and, and that occurs in Virginia and my home state of Pennsylvania, North in Maryland, Carolina. Maryland, uh, they franchise oh, liquor stores, okay. right? But here's the other thing: um, many states, because of the development of craft breweries and wineries, etc., have passed laws to protect those industries from booze, you know, oh, wine, beer, it's coming oh. from other states. And what the Supreme Court has said is, even though Congress has not passed any laws, the Dormant Commerce Clause prohibits the passage of state laws, okay, that engage in, effectively, protectionism of state and local industries at the expense of national. Okay, so... so, so Virginia can't say no wines from California because um, because that impedes federal commerce. That impedes national. national yeah, national commerce. commerce. But, but but what they can do is market the crap out of Virginia oh, sure. wine, yes. wineries yes. as opposed to yes. California. I mean, they can say you could drink California wine if you were a low-life scumbag, or you could drink <laughs> Virginia wine and be totally fantastic, right? Like, or, or they could go about it in that way, right, but or, they can't. Or, yeah. But they can't prohibit or um, impose tariffs. impose taxes says, or yeah. anything like okay. that on California, California wines. wines. Yeah, I see. And you can okay. and you can give incentives, for instance, for you know local and state, if you will, industries. Okay. Oh, we will subsidize so, yes. your yeah, your sure. vineyard. Yeah. For the first three years, years or whatever, right. in order yeah. to get you out on yeah. you know on okay. your feet. I see. But there are criticisms okay. of this, right? The dormant commerce clause is not criticism free. Quite obvious. Shocking. Yes, I know. Shocking. Okay. That uh, lawyers would argue about, about something. something right. Pshaw, I <laughs> right. say. A constitutional law concept that actually has criticisms. <laughs> no. No. Yes. Now I have to put a cold compress on my forehead. Okay. So states, of course, dislike the Dormant Commerce Clause. Well, right. yeah. Okay. I mean, it would be nice if Virginia could say, and any California wine that comes into the state, we're going to slap a $5 tax on. That's going to prevent a lot of people from trying those wines or drinking those wines because it's going to jack the price up. So sure. And, and, and by the way, when I say states don't like the Dormant Commerce Clause, this cuts across political ideology because conservative states hate it in some instances, and liberal states hate it in some instances. It's truly remarkable how unified <laughs> the states are in not liking the Dormant Commerce Clause, right? Okay. But do they think that Congress should have to spell out every single... Yeah, and... So anytime something comes up, then Congress has to rule on it? Yeah, and... They want the one of the most dysfunctional groups of people on the planet... Yes, because that would mean what would doesn't get passed. that down. That's right. You were not... Years. years. That's right. Oh, See, this that's is, rather clever. There you go. I mean, to be angry about that on okay. the state's behalf. Okay. And rather clever of, okay. the, of, the, of the courts to say, no, no, we're not playing that <laughs> game. We're not playing that game. But nevertheless, it, 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 you can tie it back to this avoids government tyranny, right? <laughs> because there is not a na- national-wide, central, if you will, okay, policy. So, and, and states are like, yeah, that's right. We don't want that because we want to be able to do what we want to do. And we can go ahead and tie this to our state police power. Hmm. Right. You see how the Tenth Amendment, okay, is like you know the 
the the the it's super powerful. It's super powerful, and in, in, in why it's been resurrected as a tool against federal government tyranny, <laughs> right? Okay, conservatives loved it during the Obama administration. Liberals now love it during the Trump administration, <laughs> and they both really like it as opposition to the dormant commerce clause. You know who else doesn't like it? Strict constructionist. Because where does it say in Article 1, Section 8 that there's a dormant commerce clause? It doesn't. Ah. So justices like Scalia, <gasps> Thomas, right, the, Gorsuch, they're who, all like— who go with the written document. Yeah, they're like, this is judge-made doctrine, okay, that basically ratified, okay, where the country was economically post-Great Depression— post-World War II. And they're like, if that's what the country wants, then they need to do what? Amend, amend the Constitution. Or to get Congress to pass a law. But they need to do something to, yeah. That's, yeah. That, yeah. that specifies what, but, yes. what they what they're expecting. So, you know, you know, so you know, you can so, you, you can hypothesize, you know, if you're uh, Clarence Thomas and you're sitting on the court in 1959, you'll go ahead and say, no, um, if Congress didn't want states like Illinois passing a law that mandated curved mud flaps, they should then, say so. Then Congress should say so. Which would take forever. Exactly. <laughs> wow. You see now why yeah, it's really <laughs> complex. It's like really complex. Any thread, thread, and all the other threads bunch up. Yes, in weird places. Like, oh my this goodness, is not yes. A, oh yeah. Uh, now uh, I see why you guys. Oh yes. Like it so much. Yeah, and, and, and can spend hours talking about because it, it affects. It affects everything, right? I mean, I mean, just think about here in Richmond, right? Um, uh, we had a, a state and local government that provided incentives. For a California brewery, Stone, okay, Stone's Brewery, to you know, you know, build a, you know, uh, you know, uh, a distillery. Re- here? Yeah, okay. Um, so they provided incentives, right? Now, you know, think about the Dormant Commerce Clause. Congress effectively could go ahead and pass a law and say, no, you can't do that, right? Because that would be interstate commerce, right? You're basically talking about, okay, a company headquartered in California, okay, um, that, you know, is thinking about having an East Coast presence. Or, you know, think about all the wineries in central, you know, uh, in the Charlottesville area, right? Okay. Do you think that the state legislators, particularly those that represent, you know, Charlottesville, okay, uh, would like to go ahead and say, "No, you can't do that." You know, we, we want we want uh, Virginians only to buy Virginia wine, or we want to give them an incentive, or we want to make California wines okay costlier so they actually buy Virginia wines. I mean, you want to talk about uh, ensuring your reelection effort? You help out some, you know, uh, 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 wine growers, you know, <laughs> grape growers, okay, in, uh, in in your district. And wine drinkers. And, yes. Okay. And local businesses who yes. serve the wines. I mean, like, yes. The whole thing. You see how this, how this plays out and why it is so complex? And all Illinois wanted to do was improve highway safety. <laughs> 
poor Illinois. <laughs> right? You know, like they just, they just like, doo, 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 I mean, they ran right into a wall. Like, that, <laughs> yeah, that's that must right. Have been, okay. You know, but, but also from the trucking point of view, I mean, I totally see it from the trucking company's point of view. It will stop us at your border. We either have to go around the state. Of course. Which you don't want because it's, you lose commerce you lose all kinds of stuff if you if we go around your state or it will stop us literally in our tracks in order to change these yes to drive across your state and then stop again yes or alternatively illinois makes the rule for everybody like i can see where well, and, where and, and, some and, companies would and, say and, well screw it we're just going to go with then, curved and because then, we and don't want to deal with it and then think about the other states and then wyoming says we like square yeah we like flat yeah we like flat and we're not you know we're wh- not going to change it and now you have two states you know why are our policies being dictated by you know those idiots in illinois yeah or you know, think about. I, mean, I can see where you that think about be. the econ- economic uh, uh, muscle of states like California, I or mean, New York. Where uh, I mean, you, you were... know, California's economy, uh, according to most economists, if they were a standalone country, they would have what the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. Right. So if so, they are the big, big giant, yes. giant gorilla in the room, because if they said, and you mentioned if, environmental, so Illinois says yes. curved, and California says flat, flat. man. Who that, do you who do you you're think they're going to go flat and pay the fines? So, in yeah, that's right. Yeah, like, that's right. Not. Okay. Or think about you mentioned environmental regulations. Okay, California has uh, uh, the highest um, uh, uh, standards or requirements for uh, um, uh, miles uh, miles per gallon per gas you know uh, for gasoline. Right? right. They want more fuel efficient cars, and because they have. They basically have changed product lines for automobile manufacturers, even though, I mean, effectively they have to. Why? Because there are so many people who drive automobiles in California, right? right? So, you know, a state like, for instance, and I'm just hypothesizing, like, you know, South Dakota doesn't, like, they really care, right? (laughs) But nevertheless, their automobiles now reflect the fact that California is just like, no, we want gas guzzlers off our roads. Why? Because right. we have a pollution problem. Right. Or we if, want better emission standards or we yeah, want yeah. whatever it okay. is. Then South Dakota, who may or may not have a position, yeah. and, 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 and By the way, I'm not picking on California or South Dakota. I just threw them right. up. Yeah. Uh, you know, but California does have the highest emission standards in the country, higher than even the EPA has mandated. Right. Because they have so many cars. They have so many cars, and they have a pollution problem that they want to address. enormous population. Okay. And by the way, addressing pollution falls under what state power? State police power. (laughs) You see where this stuff, okay, keeps on. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Good stuff. So essentially, California is kind of a monopoly in some ways. Oh, my goodness, yes. Because of the size of the. Yes. Yeah. The economy. Sure. They get to say things like... Just like New York used to be. You have to build better yes. cars or you have yeah. to build... Yeah, New York used to be, you right? Know, whatever. I mean, New York, uh, uh, the state of New York, particularly the city of New York, basically went ahead and set our engineering standards for bridges. Did you know that? Is that... I did not know that. And I'm thinking about the bridges that I've been across in, in New York, and I guess it's because they all go across... The, the river, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, the the Hudson and all the other. I mean, I mean, but, you think about Manhattan; it's an island for goodness sakes, right? Right. There are but, five, four or five bridges but, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
But, you know, again, when you have you have a large state, they can dictate a lot. And then the other states are just like, hmm, do we want a federal law to go ahead and regulate this? Because we're getting like shafted because of what's going on in this much larger state. Or do we want to just go ahead and, you know, be different? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not worth it. It's not sure. worth it to be different unless yeah. the difference is something that you can hang some other policy See, on yeah, yeah. or some other or it's important to our, about yeah, your state. Yeah, you know? it's important to our residents, and they're not going to vote with their feet and move to that other state. Yeah, yeah. and unlikely that that was going to happen <laughs> yeah, for I mean, a lot of states, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially southern states. People weren't moving a whole lot to New York for a while, and then suddenly they were, and now they're not again. But, yeah. Um, so... so one it's, more question, because uh, because remember, we have two more episodes <laughs> with the Commerce Clause. Right. No, it's not so much a question yes. as it is a statement. I'm a geek. <laughs> oh, well, that was a given. No. Well, I, and, there's, and there's molecules moving in the air. I mean, you know, and the, there, sun, there, the sun rises. There I mean, are, if we're going to play the obvious game. There, there are dust motes floating in this room <laughs> where we are recording. Really? That's a big shock, Augie. <laughs> no, I now understand why it's so important. I do have a lot more questions about it I'm going to ask you in the future, but I do have one like statement I want to say, okay. which is I don't think that we do a very good job of explaining this in high school civics. Um, we do a much better job of explaining it in, in college civics, but this... This one clause, mm-hmm. r- like there's a whole bunch of other clauses we could talk about that are probably equally. I mean, um, theoretically, are just as important. That pull the threads. Okay, but this but, one clause, really, almost everything comes back to this, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, and this is a really good segue. So somebody's seg- going to read a um, section. This is a really good segue to uh, research um, uh, our next uh, podcast episode. Uh, the importance of the Commerce Clause. Um, Because when we start talking about um, uh, the federal government uh, creating a modern administrative state, it's founded on the Commerce Clause. So if you're going to research something, you're going to pick one thing to research out of the Constitution. This is probably like... This This would be in the top five, easily the top five, maybe the top three. Okay. Yeah. So for listeners who are looking for something to do um, while they're reading in the summer at the beach, (laughs) I'm going to suggest that what we'll probably do is Augie will find a book or two in our collection that we can link to from the research guide that we give you a little more um, background on this and how just truly incredibly important it is. Yes. Okay. I'll be happy to. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you for listening. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.